You've reached the Every Little Thing helpline. Please leave your message after the tone. What's up, Flora? Uh, I have a factual emergency here. I was cleaning out a cupboard and came across a really, really, really old bottle of maple syrup. And that got me thinking about what maybe food historians find, like what things preserve really well. I don't know. All right. Thanks. Hello? Hi, Taylor. This is Flora from ELT. Hi, Flora. So this maple syrup, was it stored in your syrup cellar? Uh, Absolutely, yes, along with all of my various other kinds of syrups. No, I only have two kinds of syrup in my house. Old and new? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Yeah, this one was at the very back of the cupboard. I'm sure it was given to me or something. Was it like right next to the unopened jar of cream of tartar? And like the like two kinds of ramen that I bought at the Asian market that I didn't like, you know, that kind of thing. (laughs) Yeah, familiar. (laughs) Yes. What vintage was it? I believe the expiration date on it was 2013. This is like a 10-year-old bottle of syrup. Yeah, and I definitely put it on waffles. (laughs) I was going to ask. It still looked like maple syrup. It smelled like maple syrup. I figured that's close enough. Do you often eat foods that are well past their expiration dates? I will say that I'm not well known for it, but my dad certainly is. He's the kind of guy who will eat, like, anything that comes out of the fridge as long as it is, quote-unquote, acidic, you know? No. Explain. Yeah, it doesn't matter how long it's been in there. As long as it's acidic, like, nothing will grow on it. Has he had any run-ins or run-outs? Yeah, frequently. I mean, he's certainly, like, eaten things that have caused various double dragon in. <laughs> Double dragoning? <laughs> you know, out of both ends. <laughs> <laughs> frequently? Uh, well, frequently meaning like at least once a year. Give me an example of something he ate that caused a double dragoning. Uh, well, one of our family dishes is called Lion's Head Meatballs. We usually eat it at like holiday times, like Chinese New Year's and birthdays, like special occasions. What are they? It's like a big pork meatball that is in a soy kind of base sauce with a bunch of cabbage. Mm. And I think my dad also has this idea that cabbage has some kind of antibacterial property to it. (laughs) (laughs) And so, you know, if that sits in the fridge after we have that for dinner for, you know, a month or so, he will still eat that. And I remember an occasion maybe three years ago where he ate a couple of those meatballs for lunch. And by dinner time, he wound up needing to ride the Porcelain Express for a little while. <laughs> Take the dragon to the Porcelain Express. You got it. Yes. <laughs> We've got a lot of metaphors going on. <laughs> Anything gross, I'm in. You're going to be sorry you said that. Uh-oh. <laughs> <laughs> Uh-oh. <laughs> Okay, so the syrup encounter got the juices flowing for you. What did it maple you think or leave you wondering? Um, I guess it made me think about like what somebody would find in my house if I like unexpectedly moved out and you know nobody was living there for a long time, building collapsed, archaeologists come in a hundred years. What are they gonna find in my cabinets then? How do we know what somebody in prehistory, before we have recorded recipes and that kind of thing, how do we know what they ate? Basically, you want to know what ancient people snarfed and how we know. Yeah. 
we found just the person to tell us what's in those crusty cupboards. My name's Judy Dunn, and I investigate ancient diet and subsistence. Hi, Julie. Hi, Taylor. Julie is an archaeologist of old-time edibles. And she says when it comes to bygone buffets, we can piece together what ancient people were munching on. That's awesome. Her research focuses on food from 10,000 years ago in North Africa, in the Sahara. It was extremely different 10,000 years ago. Instead of that desert that you think of today, it was much greener, uh, much wetter. There were all sorts of big wild game, so elephants, giraffes, and people were living sort of what we would call semi-sedentary lifestyles. So they had so many resources at their feet that they, they tended to be quite static. So to figure out what these folks were eating, archaeologists like Julie look at different types of leftovers. Do you have any guesses about where they start? Mm, trash, maybe? Exactly, yes. So we can look at their old rubbish dumps. They find discarded animal bones, sometimes old plant remains. At a site in Libya, they found 10,000-year-old seeds. Just literally buried underneath sand. And when they were excavated, they look as if you could still boil them up and eat them today. They were so fresh-looking. It was quite amazing. Wow, that's so cool. Julie says they were probably ground into a flour to make some kind of bread. Or boiled into a porridge, maybe? Classic. Almost every culture has some form of porridge. Like, you know, in, in Chinese culture, it's juk uh, or zhou. Here we have oatmeal or, you know, muesli or whatever. <laughs> muesli. <laughs> so besides rifling through ancient trash bins, archaeologists also look for food clues on really, really old dinnerware. Whoa. In fact, old dishes are Julie's signature and the inspiration for her Twitter handle. The pot lady. (laughs) Yes, yes. Should we go with pothead on the show or? Um, Up to you. I don't mind. (laughs) I want to send you a shot of some of the pots she's worked on. Okay. And we'll put them on Instagram at ELT Show, too. Okay. So these are from the same site where the seeds were found in Libya, and they're somewhere between eight and 10,000 years old. Oh, whoa, those are beautiful. I know. They are ceramic, roundish kinds of pot shards with, like, intricate patterning on them. Some of it looks almost like they rolled something on it, maybe. Yes. Ancient potheads decorated them with a tool called a rocker stamp. So they would get maybe a piece of small animal bone, like a bird bone or something, and and carve a pattern into it. And then they would impress the pottery with this patterned bone all the way around. So they'd be sometimes, there'd be little dots and then uh, dashes, little triangles maybe. Um, Must have taken forever to decorate some of these. I mean, look look how tiny those little patterns are. And they're very, very beautiful. It really does show how their aesthetic was as important to them as, as, you know, it being something that served a practical purpose as well. I've never felt more excited hearing about an ancient pot than when I'm talking to you. (laughs) I can't help it. I do love them. They're so lovely. (laughs) Uh, And it's amazing because we get so much information from them as well. Information like what was cooked in them. Yeah, wait. So they actually cooked in these ceramic pots? 
Yeah. Pottery is one of the first technological inventions of modern humans. And um, one of the things that really enables us to broaden the base of the types of foods we're eating, because pottery is very durable. You can put it on a fire and boil things for a, a long period of time in a pot, something that you couldn't have done previously. Cool. Yeah, and fasten your eat belt, Taylor, because Julie can take a super old soup bowl and tell you what people slurped into their soup holes 10,000 years ago. <laughs> I expected a bigger laugh. I mean, soup holes is a really good <laughs> soup holes is a really good phrase. <laughs> So basically, she knows what was in that pot. How? To figure it out, Julie picks up that intricate, beautiful, one-of-a-kind terracotta artifact and takes a drill to it. Oh, no! (laughs) Yes, so what we um, do is essentially take just small pieces. We only need a piece, two or three centimeters, and um, grind them to a powder. And then we use um, a series of chemical extraction techniques to extract the compounds from the foods that were processed in the pots. Okay. All right. The things that most often stick around are the remnants of fat called fatty acids. So you would find fatty acids in in your burger or your cheese topping on your burger or, or you know, in, in a pint of milk. I'm familiar with fatty acids. Believe yes. me. <laughs> <laughs> And different types of fatty acids leave different grease stains behind. I could see that, yeah. I mean, even if you just, like, touch different kinds of fat, you can kind of feel the difference. And Julie can read the grease stains to tell what was in the bowl. So mostly what shows up are animal meats, and she can distinguish between animals that chew their cud. Animals like cattle, sheep, and goat. And ones that don't. That would be pigs, essentially. Okay. But that's not all. Julie can also tell if there was dairy in the air. Dairy in the air. So we can tell whether people were um, processing milk. They may be milking into the pots and, and drinking milk directly from the pots. Or probably much more likely, they might be making things like butter or cheese or yogurt. So they had some Saharan small plates. <laughs> but past antipastos weren't all cheese boards and charcuterie. Julie says she also finds evidence for fish and even plants. Possibly from uh, lakes and so on. Things like sedges. Picture cattails. Ah, okay. All right. So like reed reed kind of things? Yeah, like the corn dogs of the plant world. That doesn't sound super tasty to me. Pour some 10-year-old syrup on it. I'm sure it'd be delicious. (laughs) Yeah, everything's better with 10-year-old syrup on it. Okay, but Taylor, there is one more method archaeologists use to gaze back through time at the dinner tables of old. So if you think about this, okay, I'm I'm getting carried away here, but if you think about this, for example, when you go to the toilet yourself, sometimes there are things that survive like, how come, I don't know, but sweet corn, how do you always see a bit of sweet corn? (laughs) Or is that just me? Where are we going, Julie? <laughs> uh, yeah, poop. That's another good place to look for what you eat, I guess. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you brought it up. You opened this door with a double dragon egg. 
Yep, this is my own fault. I have no one to blame but myself. That's right. <laughs> we'll step in it after the break. Are you ready to get back on duty, Taylor? I'm I'm ready for the poopy truth, Flora. So one of the things that archaeologists do to look at ancient diet is um, is to look at ancient poo. Another way to tell what went into the soup hole is to look at what came out of the... Poop hole? The poop hole. Poo from humans, sometimes poo from animals. And you can literally sometimes kind of excavate these poos, take them apart and find out what kind of um, foods have come through the poo. So this is like the owl pellet thing in elementary school. Yeah, it is. But you're doing this with 10,000-year-old yeah. dumps. Yeah. Yeah. When you're on a dig and you come across a giant piece of shit, is that like a eureka moment? <laughs> it is for some people. <laughs> Not so much for me, but, you know. <laughs> I'm happy with pots. I don't want to be the person that says, I, I work on ancient shit. <laughs> I don't really want, want to be that person. <laughs> yeah, I guess that's a weird way to introduce yourself at a party. <laughs> Yeah. Although I guess you could put the emphasis so that it just means like ancient stuff, right? Ancient shit. Oh, yeah. I look at ancient shit all the time. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. That is totally the way to do it. Yes. (laughs) And it turns out ancient shit can be a real black gold mine for information about ancient diet. For instance, one particular specimen really made a splash. (laughs) Okay. Just dropped dropped a, a big bomb on the uh, on the scientific community. Yeah, this was in the UK. In York, they found <laughs> they found the largest known human coploids. <laughs> is that is that code for fossilized poop? Yeah, coplite. Yeah, that's that's a posh term. <laughs> All right. Uh, okay, I'm very sorry to tell you this, but we're sending you a picture. Okay. All right, here we go. Get ready to clear your cache and bleach your eyes. <laughs> Is this something I should uh, not open on the school Wi-Fi? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's up to you. How much do you like your job? Oh, goodness. That is quite a coprolite. It looks like hard, and some of it is a little shiny in a way that is somewhat disturbing it is uh well there's no scaling so i guess i can't tell exactly how large this is but it looks like a big piece of poo to me it's eight inches long and two inches wide oh my god and it's a viking poo actually (laughs) well those vikings do do everything bigger i guess right and this this would count yeah, and this coprolite delivered a real info dump about Viking diet. The producers subsisted largely on meat and bird, with the presence of several hundred parasitic eggs, suggesting they were riddled with intestinal worms. <laughs> oh. oh yeah, this was a very unhealthy person. 
that's one of the insights a copper light can produce. Yeah, I mean, because it is actually a really useful kind of form of information. And it isn't just diet. Like I say, they've identified various parasites that, you know, we've been living with for long thousands of years, essentially. It is a whole field. What are you going to take away from this conversation? Kind of what I thought was we were going to find what people left behind, right? Like, whether it's actual things that they left behind, like seeds or animal bones, or, uh, you know, the the, uh, masticated, digested remains of what they left behind. (laughs) (laughs) Things that they're behind left behind. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Thanks for sending us down this road, Taylor. It hasn't been shitty. We are not finished with old food tales. Come back next week to hear about the oldest thing that ever made its way into a soup hole. This extremely expired dinner puts month-old meatballs to shame. That's exclusively on Spotify. And if you've got a question so urgent, it's coming out both ends. We can help. Give us a call, 833-RING-YELTY. 833-RING-YELTY. Every Little Thing is produced by Jahi Whitehead, Adley Robinson, Stephanie Werner, Phoebe Flanagan, Annette Heist, and Flora Lickman, and edited by Jorge Justin Caitlin Kenny, with help from Nicole Pasulka and Doug Barron. Scored by Dara Hirsch and Bobby Lord, mixed by Dara Hirsch. Every Little Thing is a Gimlet production and a Spotify original podcast Listen for free on Spotify. Goodbye.